0: So the shir is Le'iloi nishmat Devorah Sarah bat Avraham and Sarah Aleha shalom She was a friend who passed away last week, a relatively young person, and I told her husband that we will uh, say the shir over Le'iloi nishmat. Okay, let's begin. So when we start our Yosef story, if that's what we can call it, or when we continue our Yosef story, I, I guess there are some questions that we need to ask ourselves, just as a as a starting point, because today we get to the end or towards the end or something which we can consider the end, and that is that along the way has Yosef been reactive or has Yosef been and. Did he anticipate the various things which has happened? Now, any of you who know me well know that I have a very strong bias and a very strong opinion in that, and that is that I think that Yosef has been uh, anticipating everything along the way. I think that for Yosef there are no surprises, which which really then leads us to force us to consider and to read how the story ends because maybe it does seem like this sudden dramatic end. But again, I mean, Yosef, nothing is a surprise, which means when he was 17, he had a certain uh, way of seeing himself, which was very much a continuation of the way that his father had seen him. And he makes various decisions because of this. And again, I I have a very hard time blaming Yaakov, I'll I'll say for, sorry, blaming Yosef for anything you're alone. Because I think that ultimately Yosef is a very good son, and he does that which his father is expecting him to do, or, or even more wants him to do. So l- let's let's try to understand it like that, and and go a little bit further. You know, what, one of the other things to ask along the way is what exactly is Yosef's plan? Because again, did he take it to the end, or there were, was there some type of a uh, premature end to it. And and maybe in the background of all of this is the famous question. Now of course I, I call it the famous question and you can decide whose famous question it is. The the Ramban states it but doesn't ask it as a question. And but it's not the Ramban. It, it, I meaning it's not his. It's uh it, if you look through the various commentaries, the Balea they all they all bring up the same point. And it really becomes, to a great extent, uh, a way for each one to say what they think the plan is. And I know that I didn't say what the question is yet, so I'll say what the question is. And uh, that is, why does Yosef never reach out to his uh, father? And the reason why that would be a question is that Yosef knows what's happening, and Yosef knows what's going to happen. Certainly, by the time he stands in front of Paro, he knows that there is going to be seven good years, seven bad years, and at some point, there will be a lack of produce in the rest of the region. And therefore, he knows that his father is without food. And when he knows his father is without food, then the question is, why does he not go and 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 make that decision that he's going to reach out to his father and tell him. I mean, the way you can say it more dramatically, why doesn't Yosef ever send a postcard saying, Hi, Dad, I'm in Egypt, and uh, and so on. Now, some of you may know that Rav binun, Nun, and if you don't know who Rav Binun is, you should. And uh, along with anything else, Ye'ol, Rav Yeol is probably the world's expert on Tanakh. And... Aside from that, he was one of the paratroopers who liberated the Temple Mount. And if you never read the book like dreamers, then you should. It's one of these things that you should read. It's a very, very meaningful book. The reveal, he took this famous question and he flipped it around and uh, somewhat rhetorically. And he said, hold it. Why are we asking? Why does Yosef not contact Yaakov? Maybe the question is, why doesn't Yaakov contact Yosef? And we all know the answer to that. And the answer is because Yosef, because Yaakov thinks that Yosef is dead. But now does Yosef know that Yaakov thinks that he's dead? So then he makes this suggestion, and my only hesitation is saying this, is that I may unfortunately convince some of you, and I don't want to. And he says that if you follow the, the narrative carefully, the first time when the Yosef's identity comes up in the words of the brothers, they say, you know, we're 12 sons of one man, one is with his father, v'echad enenu. Enenu means he isn't, he isn't. So is, isn't seen, sounds like he's just he's not part of the family. He's not here. When Yehuda gives his speech now in Vayigash, then he says that uh, that if anything were to happen to Benjamin, this would be devastating to our father because he had a son and Taraf Taraf, and he was ripped to pieces. So there, and then he's quoting Yaakov. So Rav Ben Nun said, Ah, that's the first time that Yosef hears what Yaakov thinks, and that's why Yaakov. Never reached out to him, which means he then claims is that when yakov when when Yosef realizes that well let me say that restate that when Yosef thinks that Yakov didn't come looking for him, he thinks that Yakov is in on this. Yaakov is a part of the conspiracy, that Yosef's made too much trouble. Everyone else gets along. He's the problematic child. And just like perhaps Yishmael was gotten rid of, and Asaph was gotten rid of, so you get rid of Yosef as well. And And Yaakov had sent Yosef there, and therefore Yaakov knew that the brothers don't like him. And now he realizes, in retrospect, Yaakov must have been involved with it. So then only in Vayigash, when Yaakov is heard saying that Yosef is dead, does then Yosef realize why Yaakov has never come looking for him? And that's because he thinks that he's dead, but not because he was involved in the conspiracy. Now, I, I, I tell you this because I really don't like this at all. And the reason I don't like it is not because it's, uh, it's comp- there's something compelling about it. What I find fascinating is also that in this generation, People liked it a lot. The reason people like it a lot is that probably they're questioning: Do their parents like them? And it actually, it fits very well into a teenager's psyche. But I want to stress: It stresses it. It it's appropriate for a teenager's psyche in uh, in the 1900s or the 2000s. Whether it fit into the psyche. A couple three thousand years ago four thousand years ago or for that matter re- whether it fits into the personality of yosef i mean that's really the larger point i mean i really go for this thing of yosef at Sadiq, and yosef is very confident and yosef knows exactly what he's doing and Yosef knows that he is respected and he is appreciated by everybody that meets him, except for his brothers, by the way. And he knows that his father loves him. To say that Yosef says, oh, my father doesn't love me and so on, you know, maybe, maybe we'll make a very good therapy session for somebody today. It just doesn't ring true as far as Yosef is concerned. It just, it just it does not sound like Yosef. I mean, this is the Yosef at the age of 17 is able to lecture, you know, Mrs. Potifar and say, you know, Thank you very much for your kind offer, but this would be a sin against my. This would be terrible behavior, very bad form in terms of my boss, and this would be very bad in terms of God, and therefore, you know, thank you, but no, thank you. You know that that, that is the those are the words of somebody who has far more confidence. This is the this is the Yosef who will stand in front of Pyro and then set up in his nine year, sorry, his fourteen year plan for uh, you know the economic growth. Of uh, of Egypt and the way that he plays it is also I know I'm repeating myself now a bit but the way that he plays it is just so fascinating because if any of the other advisors of power would have had this information they probably would have said all the countries around us will be you know without food without resources they will be starving and therefore it will be the perfect time to attack that's the perfect pagan response let's attack and let's uh, have a let's take over all of these uh, lands and this will be a way for the empire to grow and what Yosef does instead and, you know excuse me from I'm about to say but Yosef gives the Jewish solution to the problem and he says let's go retail we're gonna open up, we're gonna open up stores we're gonna make a lot of money over here now that's a Yiddish a cup that's Yosef saying you know this is an opportunity over here that you're gonna make money and therefore you're gonna accomplish the same thing you would have accomplished if you go to war but this is a bloodless coup we're gonna take everything but you don't have to kill anybody, and you don't take responsibility for them, you're just going to take their money, and it it really is beautiful. Rav Salavechik stressed that there's another, there's a moral angle to this, and that's something which Yaakov notices, and that is that what Avram Avinu does, and Sarah, they open up their tent, and anybody who needs food comes in from the desert, they give them food, and uh, they take care of the hungry. Now, what ya- sorry, what Yosef does is he does that on a macro level for an entire empire, providing food for others. Instead of utilizing their position in the most military way, what he does is we're going to sell food. Who sells food during a famine? Which means you you keep the food that you have, but Yosef knows what's going to be, and Yosef convinces Paro this is the right way to do it. And, he, and essentially he takes the morals of Avraham and he implements them on a national level it's actually international, and that is completely fascinating. So you know, it actually leads me to another point which I think hovers above you know this whole section, and that is, why is it that the brothers never recognize Yosef? You know from the very beginning when they meet, we're told Yosef recognizes them, they don't recognize him. My question is, why not? Which means, if we go back and think about Yosef, Yosef is completely brilliant, and everybody who meets him knows it, articulates this, identifies it, that the, the brilliance of Yosef. The second thing is that Yosef seems to be quite charismatic as well. The other thing is that we're told is Yosef is actually... Com- He's the only male whose looks are described in the Chumash, and he's described as being extremely good-looking. So you have this really good-looking guy who's incredibly smart, has this charisma. So how is it possible that the brothers go in, and they meet this guy, Tzavra Paneach, and I know you're going to tell me, you know, the Chazal, that when he left he didn't have a beard, and now he has a beard. That's not enough of an answer. How could it be that they walk out of the meeting, and Shimon doesn't look at Levy and say, Did you see what I see? Did this guy look familiar? Have we seen this guy before? I mean, doesn't he bear an unbelievable resemblance to somebody that we used to know? How is it that they miss it? How is it they miss the whole package, the Yosef package, and they say, oh, you know, we don't know the, you know, doesn't ring a bell. And, and that really is what Senat Khinam is. And again, the brothers are so interesting. When it comes to Dina, who's distressed and in difficulty, they go to war to protect her. But Yosef is not distressed. I mean, they make him distressed, but Yosef is so talented, that's where the jealousy is. And maybe that's the, really the definition of sinas chinam or sinat chinam, is that you hate somebody so much that you, you make believe that you can't even see what their qualities are. You're jealous of them because of their qualities, and then you make believe you can't see them. Which means, of course, it can't be Yosef. There's this great midrash that says that when the reveal takes place, and I'm sorry if I'm ruining the story for any of you, but uh, it turns out actually that Safna Paneach really is Yosef. So as I said, if you didn't know this, then I apologize for like totally ruining the the book. But when uh, there's a midrash that says that when Yosef says to the brothers, Yosef is alive, and they say where. And they start looking around. Where's Yosef? And he says he's in the room. And they start looking, like, where? There's nobody else in the room. That they, even when Yosef says that I'm, you know, that Yosef is here, they can't even recognize it. And, and, and it's that profound. And again, you have to find that shocking on some level. Okay. With all of that, now we can start the, again, the reveal. We can start, you know, when uh, Yosef, Yehuda gives his speech. Once again, his speech is full of inaccuracies. I actually saw this week that the Ekedat Yitzchak points out that that it's full of inaccuracies, but it is full of emotional truth. So let us begin. yachol Yosef Now, if I were to stop right there, I'd actually be wrong. Yosef So the way that we would be very tempted to translate it, and Yosef was not able to contain himself, but but it's not what it says. It actually says, Yosef was not able to control himself for all the people that were standing around him. So, what exactly does that mean? So, let's pause. and he called out, Get all and, and he called out, declared, "Take all the people away." ish ito and no one stood there behit when Yosef confessed. Yosef when Yosef confessed to his brothers. Yosef lets out a cry, and people hear, you now how does that work in with the people not there, and the house of Paro hears, and Yosef says, and Yosef says to his brothers, is my father still alive? I want to pause there for a second. The The two things that I really want to try to figure out is what does it mean Yosef can't contain himself. And I also want to try to figure out what does this mean when Yosef says Yosef We'll start with the second one for a moment. The question is very strange, being that when the brothers came back the second time, he cross-examined them and he asked them, "How is your elderly father?" And they said he's fine. They've had, they've had no information since then. They haven't gone back since then. There's nothing else for them to add. So why is Joseph asking it again? on top of all that Yosef doesn't wait for an answer to that and later on he never does get an answer for that and rather he says in Pasuk Tet go and run go quickly and go to my father and tell him so and so so what exactly is this question it seems really to be quite strange okay so let's begin in source number two the Targum Yonatan again back in the Hebrew so notice what he does he takes Pasuk Aleph and he reads it into pasuk bet, b'lo yosef l'tapeg l'kol netzavim alav. He says, "Everybody get out!" Vayitena kol b'vchei, and then he starts to cry. So he reads that that Yosef couldn't control himself into order not to cry. Min biglal kol min hashamim l'fanav v'yom otsi kol ish mil'fanay v'lo amar isha imo kasherit vadei yosef lechav. So as I said, he reads pasuk bet back into pasuk alav. The Radak b'lo yachol, Yosef could yachol. Aviv. So now notice what he does. He links this back to the previous section. Yehuda talked about the distress that their father was in, and Yosef hears this again and again and again. Hearing about his father's distress, Yosef was not able to prevent himself, to stop himself from crying ish im and everyone else was asked to leave and no one else was there. Rashi, Now notice Rashi correctly identifies the divrei Matchil as the whole phrase. Yosef couldn't control himself in front of all of the people that were there. Lo Mit bayshim So notice what Rashi did is he takes the loyachol Yosef and applies it to pasuk Gimel. So it's really interesting how the different commentaries are taking that phrase and applying it in different places. Where the you know one takes it to pasuk bet one takes it to pasuk Gimel, one takes it to the previous chapter, and Rashi says now the brothers will be embarrassed, and therefore he wants to make sure that they're not there at this point. The Rashbam vloyachol Yosef Litapek. Ode, he can't control himself any longer Ode, right we'll go back to the pasuk again let's take a look below yechol yosef Tapek doesn't say ode here so he says ode. so what's he doing he's reading this in to the previous times that yosef had cried and Yosef seemed to have contained himself. Yosef kept on working on himself. So, therefore, as far as the Rashbab is concerned, there is a theme over here. And a number of times Yosef is either near tears or at tears, and then he contains himself. So, this is part of that same theme. Or Lachem, it's there at the end of the Goes, so this is really what the Pshat is it's part of this larger narrative I just want to note for a second take a look at source number 7 and 8 and number 7 is the first time so Yosef and Pasakav Dalid the Yosef turns around and cries now what was it that got him to cry. So in Pesach of Aleph, there we're told, So it's interesting. They say, but we're guilty. And you could have asked yourself, hold it, if they're already admitting their guilt, so why doesn't the whole charade end at this point? They don't say we're guilty for selling him. They say, we're guilty because we heard his cries, we heard his pleading, and we ignored him. They didn't say we were wrong. They didn't say, it's a shame we sold him. They said that we should have had more compassion to him. And therefore, we are going to experience this pain. I told you not to do this, but And by the way, he's also overstating what happened in the past. he named the And now there's this quid pro quo, and we're gonna to have to pay for this. Yosef turns around and cries. So Yosef's crying over here is the brother's partial recognition that they were wrong and they were deserving of this. Um, now, some of the commentaries that I told you say, hold it, why didn't Yosef send the message? There, or, and again, for that matter, you say, why doesn't he end the charade? So the way the Ramban goes, and some of you can be quite disturbed by this, they say that Yosef had dreams, and for Yosef, the dreams is a prophecy, and the prophecy has to come true. And and by the way, you can then ask, you know, Why does Yosef tell the brothers the dreams? That seems to be the problem. Well, remember, Rivka had her prophecy and she didn't share it and that didn't work out all that well. And I I think some of us were, you know, in our minds somewhat critical of Rivka. Why didn't she tell Yitzchak? Well, okay, here Yosef tells his brothers what the dream is and that doesn't seem to make us... uh, happy either, and therefore for the Ramban, these are dreams, these are prophecies, and by the way, if they're prophecies, he has to tell the people, that's what a prophet needs to do, and therefore he tells them, and therefore the prophecies need to come true, so therefore Yosef doesn't stop until the prophecy will come true. Now, part of what's disturbing in the Ramban is, that he understands the part of the prophecy is that Yaakov also has to bow down, so therefore Yosef has to engineer that Yaakov will come down and bow down as well, and at that point it will all be over, and all of this was away. And and also, it's been argued that when Yosef engineers that Binyamin will have to come, he doesn't believe that Yaakov will let Binyamin go together with the other brothers because of what had happened in the past. And if Binyamin is going to come, Yaakov will come with him. And he didn't anticipate that Binyamin is going to come without Yaakov. So therefore, he thinks that, you know, this really will be the end. Others go in the position that, no, that the brothers need to do tshuva. And the family needs to become united. And the only way for this to happen is they need to recognize, you know, how wrong they were. And part of it is that Yosef has to put the, you know, part of truth is that you're in the same situation. And it can't be the same situation because when it comes to isolating Binyamin you know, he's not Yosef. Yosef they were jealous of, and Yosef they hated, Binyamin they don't, but nonetheless it's a Ben Rachel, it's the next best thing, so therefore he's going to try to isolate Binyamin from them and see will they stand up for Binyamin or turn around and walk away, and you know, again, that becomes very clear that that's what Yosef does as we move forward, and therefore what Yosef is trying to do is to, test them to make sure that they really do tshuva. So therefore, you know, the way that some of the Balayotos folk go with this is that their Yosef is concerned with their spiritual well-being, and therefore he wants them to really to fix this stain on the collective Jewish community and to try to get them to do tshuva. So as I said, that's how they answer the the question of why Yosef never does reach out to the father because you can't end this prematurely. Now the question is, does he end it prematurely or not? In source number eight is also a situation that we find Yosef, breaking down or possibly breaking down and he sees, he sees and he starts to cry now that as much as we saw before that the Rosh says no this is just the continuation of the other situations it's not that convincing that it is because you could argue maybe the first one, but the second one has nothing to do with it. The second one is that he sees his long-lost brother and uh, and he melts, but this has nothing to do with uh, the plan going through or not. The bechor sure in source number six, he can't, you know, he wants to reveal himself because he realizes that his father is in too much pain. And then he says, the reason that he asks everyone to leave, it's Maybe the brothers will be too embarrassed, which is really the direction Rashi went in. Maybe, and this is another twist on this that we didn't see, maybe because they'll be so embarrassed, they're going to say, who are you? What are you talking about? Yosef? Sale of Yosef? Like, Lohayyav Nivra. Loh yidanucha, we don't know you. It never happened. The ode, and this is also very, very popular among the Baha'i vote. it's based on a midrash, there was a vow that was made. The ode of Neishvuato, Adam That Yosef was also in this vow that no one's going to reveal what happened. By the way, according to some, even the Shechina is involved in the vow, and therefore nobody can reveal what had happened. Okay, let's move over to the Ramban. The Ramban, (inaudible) he quotes Rashi, then he quotes the Ibn Ezra, who we skipped because we knew that will be quoted by the Ramban. (inaudible) Rabbi Avramar letapek lesvol. He couldn't suffer anymore. He couldn't wait for them all to go. You know, he wanted finally to get this out and say it. avalonkel is her game, and and he always does. He says It means to he couldn't he couldn't make himself strong. and he says hit That's what the word means, and maybe a little different from the modern Hebrew. The Ramban then adds, "V'nachon Shu yusham be'beit paro mina metzur manashim rabim yechulu panav l'mcholu binyamim ki nich meru rachmehem al tachnu ney Yehuda v'lo yechol Yosef l'tchasek l'kulan." Now this is really interesting the way he turns this around. Yosef, ever the politician, read the room, and Yehuda's speech was so moving. It what happened is is that he got a lot of sympathy, and everybody feels bad for Binyamin now. Everybody feels bad for Yaakov, and therefore, Yosef sees that he that Yehuda has won over the crowd. So he says, "Get them all out of here," which means he doesn't want that energy in the room, which is leaning towards Yehuda. Which is very interesting. I'm not sure exactly how that really works with what happens next. Which we've already heard a couple times. So the Ramban is another element to it. It's not just that the brothers will be embarrassed. Someone else will be embarrassed by that. And who's that? That's Yosef. These are people that can't be trusted. We don't want people like this living in our land, people who sell their own brother. I mean, these are not good citizens. They're not going to pass and get their green card. You can't have people like this we don 't want people like this walking into the palace people who can be how do you want to translate Bagdu people who could uh, turn their back perfidy in terms of their Gamba Aviam and their father as well, people like this, what are they going to do to us to the king to the to, you know the, these are treacherous people, the Gamba Yosef loyaminu od, and they 're also going to lose faith in Yosef because Yosef was the victim over here by his brother's plot, and they're going to lose respect him as well. That means that what the Ramban is adding is that it's not just the brothers will be embarrassed. The brothers' reputation will be destroyed, and they will not be able to move to Egypt, and not only that, Yosef's reputation will be tarnished as well in Medrash source number 10 he adds something which I think is also interesting so there's two sides to this he gets everybody out Yosef did not was not very wise when he does this. He does not act appropriately. He goes. These guys could have killed him. And, you know. This goes also with this theme that we find sometimes in the Medrash that Yehuda was going to rip apart the whole palace, and the brothers were all so strong. I mean, I, it's a wonderful fantasy for the strength of Jews and Jewish armies, and we're going to win, and we're going to take away everybody. But it is a good point that Yosef is with with people who here feel threatened by him. And Yosef is essentially threatening them to destroy their lives, and they could have killed him. Rabbi so, Barnachman Amar Kahogan, I know what he did was appropriate. My brothers would never kill anybody, which is also a little ironic because they kind of did wipe out a city, you know, Shechem. And by the way, just parenthetically, I've always wondered why Yaakov, when Yosef disappears, doesn't suspect that maybe Shem, somebody from Shchem, or a neighbor of Shchem, a cousin of Shchem, a relative of Shchem, somebody sympathetic to Shchem, maybe he was the one who killed Yosef along the way, because Yosef disappears not so far from Shchem. So maybe you know, maybe it wasn't a wild animal. Why is he so convinced it was a wild animal that did it? So as I said, uh, you know, I find that interesting. That over here the midrash said no, the brothers never kill anybody. Well, they wanted to kill Yosef. You know, that was on the table at one point. But on the other hand, this really is an interesting way of uh, making a reconciliation. Is that, you know, the first opinion is how can you, you know, put yourself, you know, alone with these people? On the other hand, Yosef wants to show that they are brothers and that he trusts them. And that's the first step, which means it's a nonverbal action, which is trying to show that Yosef wants reconciliation when he says everybody else leave. You know, in a sense, he doesn't say it, but, you know, these are my brothers, and, you know, we have to have a family moment right now. So, as I said, you know, that's also uh, pretty interesting. I mean, going back to this thing of making the vow, look at the Moshe of Skenim again. Why doesn't he reveal himself immediately? Yosef swore, you never tell, lahem, it would never be known. I'm going to create a situation where Binyamin's going to come. And then Yaakov's going to have to come down also. Not like the Ramban says, and then he's going to bow down. But rather than Yaakov going to come, he couldn't wait till Yaakov will come, which means his plan. What was his plan? And again, they take this midrash so literally that Yosef can't say anything about the about the sale, but rather. What he does is he wants to engineer a situation that Yaakov will come, and then even though I asked in the very beginning, how is it possible that the the brothers don't recognize him? But what the but what the is being said over here by the Moshe of is that perhaps it's accurate that the brothers don't recognize him. But you can be sure that when Yaakov walks in the room, again, this is the way he's explaining it, is that Yaakov absolutely will look and he's going to recognize who this is and he's going to realize that right away, that od Yosef chai. So as I said, that, that that is an interesting way of reading this, whether you are convinced that we're dealing with pshat or not, that is up to you. The haim also, v'lo yehoh Yosef litapeg We'll just go which means it's going on the next pasuk. No, get out already! Get out! you know, until they leave. Although we do have to recognize that the cry comes out afterwards, and that's something we have to recognize. The the Torah Moshe and I already said this out loud before, but he also says it is that uh, that he wants kedashi al lahem. He wants them to be able to get full Kapara and therefore full full atonement. And he's tr- and that's what the plan is over here for the brothers to have full recognition of what they had done. And he feels that maybe it did not go as far as it could. We'll skip 14. It's a verse quoted by the Tom Sopher in uh, 13. And move over... To the Mesha which is essentially repeating what the Ramban says elsewhere, but he does the Ramban doesn't say on this pasuk. V'lo Yehol Yosef le'Tapek, <speaking> like on its <Hebrew> own, ki alone, Marki he wanted le'Tapek, but what? Why? Over Yaakov, <speaking> over Kiyem <in> Hashem, Shviyareach in order to get Yaakov to bow down. So again, you can decide for yourselves if, you, if that really rings true, if that's what he wants. I mean, essentially you have one approach saying that Yaakov, you know, why does he want to hold himself back? Because his father has to bow down to him. Why does Yosef want to bow down? Because it's for the good of his brother. Sorry, why does Yosef want to control himself? Because it's for the good of the brothers. He wants the brothers to, uh, to fix the stain. And uh, as I said, that we see people taking this in lots of uh, different ways. Moving over to the other part of this, and and, and now I, I want to go back and say something which I've said many times. Okay, We'll come back to source 16 in a moment. Back in source number one, back in the beginning, we have this Pasuk, and I when I read it the first time, I try to read it as a uh, power as possible. But whenever we read, our first level of interpretation is always going to be the tone of voice we read it. Yoma Yosef El Echav so how exactly does Yosef say it? Which means, what is his tone of voice? And ultimately, therefore, what I'm really asking is, what is it that Yosef is saying to them? So if you look at the Riva, again, one of the Balai in source 16, he quotes another one of the Balai Tosfes, Rabbeinu Tam, that's actually Yaakov. Rabbeinu, Tam, right? Rabbeinu Tam's real name was not Rabbeinu Tam. His real name was Yaakov. Rabbeinu, Yaakov ishtam. Rabbeinu Tammi or Lyons. Right, one of the other Valetos, is Tiritz, Yaakov, <speaking in Hebrew> So he was wor- worried by one of the questions I brought up before. Why is he asking, is Yaakov still alive? He already asked that before. He already knows he's alive. He says, no, now he's asking about his well-being. So, again, I don't know how convincing this is, because he doesn't ask them, you know, is he well? He asks him, is he alive? So, he, I know why he's saying this, because it's very awkward that Yaakov should ask the same question again. And that's assuming, so what is the Riva doing, or what is Rabbeinu or Leons doing? He's assuming that the question is a legitimate question with a question mark. Is my father still alive? An innocent question, which is strange, which is why he has to nuance it a little differently. In Soros 17, the Akedat Yitzchak, and, and I'm going to pause here and say some things about the Akedat Yitzchak. It's one of the really important commentaries, and the, one of the reasons I'm saying that is that many people end up taking his ideas and sometimes don't actually cite him. The Yabar Benel, who's very well known, is really, to a great extent, based upon the Akedat Yitzchak, and, and, and their lives overlap. He borrows lots from him. The Shla borrows from him. The kliyak bothers from him, borrows from him. So, just know that the Akedah Yitzchak, as far as I can tell, he is the originator of a lot of these ideas. In source seventeen, he writes: Fakavanava baAmur Tchila Dvarav HaOda Vichai Kvar Katvuna Rishona Vze ki No Dalo Michai Aviv Adata Vegamachshav Mima Shehflig Yehuda Btzar Hashematzar Aviv Bekochtam Mi Itoet Binyamin Charad Charadag Dola." vamar o rivchai ki yare anochi oto shema higiu mi shi or sheyut bo otpanav that this is in his words so far it's a response to Yehuda's impassioned speech about the terrible situation that Yako finds himself in and now Yosef is questioning. You know, is my father really alive still? You know, could he? You know, he, he kept on saying. You know, if you take away the son that he loves, he's going to die, and he's, you're putting him through much pain. Maybe he's been through much pain. Maybe he's really not alive anymore. And therefore, this is his response to Yehuda's speech. He continues that. Then, in the next couple of verses, he speaks again. Vayomi Yosef a little later down, where it says Ted, The next line, Vayomi Yosef elachav gishuna. And he says, no, come close. Let, let's, let's just go back and read that Pasuk again. In, uh, it's in Pasuk Dalid, because course, in Pasuk Gimel he says, you know, is my father still alive? And it says that the brothers are frightened. Then in Pasuk Dalid, So now again, what's the tone of voice there? Now, by the way, that part sounds frightening. I'm your brother who you sold. So l- let's look how... This gets explained, right? Where the yud tet is, it says again, "Vayomi Yosef elachav geshuna tivash egusho elav leimor lomar lahem bichashai ani Yosef." Sorry, tivash egusho elav leimor lahem to say to them bichashai very softly and whisper to them, "Ani Yosef, achichem." Which means at this point, Yosef says this in a much more loving, soft way, where again the reconciliation is what he's trying to accomplish. But I'll say, to a great extent, with the tone of voice that he that he uses over here. The sforno in source eighteen, and I've uh, I've taught the sforno before, and I've embellished the sforno and uh, you know I told, I told you before the Kedah Yitzchak becomes the source for many le- others later, we'll see to what extent, but the Sferno says HaOda Bichai, Iyev mate, Met Agato Alai, is that he takes Yehuda's speech and Yehuda said you know, and it's fascinating because what does Yehuda actually do? He turns Yosef who's really the victim into the perpetrator and he says you know you evil person you're going to kill my father that my father has a son that he loves and you take away the son that he loves from him then he's going to die and therefore Yehuda is saying to Paneach you're killing my father that's what you're doing maybe you think you're putting somebody who had a you know this this cup in his bag you think you're punishing him but what you are really doing is you're killing my father and because you're taking away the son that he loves so the Sforno it's very terse and we'll, maybe we'll look at the the Beit HaLevi soon who'll do this in much More depth, but he says, "Hi, I'm Yosef. Is my father still alive?" And what he's saying it in a very, very rhetorical and cynical way. That Yehuda's whole point of his speech is, you've take away the son that he loves. He's going to die. He goes, "Hi, I'm Yosef. Is my father still alive? You know, I was the son that my that our father loved, and you took him away, and you took me away from him. Is he still alive? Which means at that point." they can't say anything. At that point, they're completely frightened. And again, I want to go back and look at the words of the Sforno, and you'll see that he actually is saying this. Source 18, How could it be he didn't die because of worrying about me? Again, what he's saying is, according to what you're claiming, he has to be dead already. So it's at that point, there's nothing to be said. The Sifzik Kohen, Yom Yosef el achiv u'misvada el chato ha gadol klom arniba olam va'aviba olam tema echai. How can he still be alive? V'lo which means that again, essentially Yosef is turning the he's turning this around on them and saying, you know, how could this possibly be? You know, again, this is because of me that you're blaming me for the situation over here. So again, I think he's going in that same direction. The Kleakar as well. Um, Shura he says is my father still alive again you're claiming you take away the son that he loves he's gonna die and he's saying yeah is my father still alive you didn't treat him like a father Again, it's slightly different the way that he that, that he nuances that he focuses it, that you know, you 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 are claiming that you take away the son that he loves, he's gonna die. So therefore look what you've done. So again, Yosef is turning the tables on them. Again, the Ktava Kabbalah goes in the same direction. He says that the question is not a question mark, a tema. Could he possibly still be alive after what you've put him through? So again, you the, you see the response of Yosef is this two-part response. I'm uh, conflicted whether to read through the whole Beit HaLevi over here with you. The one thing that he adds to the whole equation is that he adds the Gemara. And it's the Gemara, it's the Medrash, and it says he quotes it from Medrash Rabba, where it says "Ayn lanu hadin, lanu hatochacha." That um, that the Gemara again Chazal say that when this verse was read, they said, "Oh, what are we going to do in the day of judgment?" So that means that it's discerned that there is tochacha in what Yosef says; that Yosef is actually giving them tochacha. And uh, so th- that's the the same idea he developed, so I'm gonna take it a little bit further down. It's not a question. Again, what tone of voice? Do you ask Rather, There's no reason to ask this. Again, there's they have no more information. How could he have gone through? Again, you said you take away the son that he loves that will die, so how can he still be alive? Look at all the pain you put him through. And that essentially destroys all of Yudah's arguments. He's saying, look, saying to saying, you're killing my father. And Yosef, he says, yeah, really. Who's really killing your father by taking away the son that he loved? And therefore, he's saying, yeah, and if you're so worried about your father's well being, then uh, I'm adding a little bit. How can you be worse than Esav, who says, wait for our father to die before he kills Yaakov, and you were willing to uh, do this right away? So you, you see the the power in this Beta Levi. I heard Rabbi Solovatric say this over as well, and I think he was fond of the Beta Levi, his great grandfather and, name, and namesake. I want to nonetheless again, because I don't know if you think it's Pshad or not, I want to offer two other interpretations. One I think is more grounded than the other, but I want to offer them both. First one is based on the Tolda Yitzchak in source number 23. Tolda Yitzchak is Yitzchak Karo, the uncle of Yosef Karo and the man who raised him. Father, Yosef Karo's father passed away. Ani Yosef, Odo, Kan Shalosh Svekot Hasafika Rishon. Why was that question never answered? It was already asked and answered since they had any more information, so why is he asking it? Why doesn't he say right away that I'm Yosef who you sold? Now, he goes down a little bit, right? He quotes Asav, even Asav, right? Wait wait for the father to die, and so on. Right, so that's kind of wrapped up some of the things that we already had seen. Good. The Tzedah Lederach, in Source 24, he's the one who takes this in another direction. And it's really, I don't want to use the word cute, but it's really interesting what he does. Ani Yosef whom he lost ruach So let's stop a second. Twenty-four, but let's go back to source. In source twenty-five, the brothers come back and and they tell Yaakov that Yosef is alive. So he's connecting over here. This Vatichi, that 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 Yo- Yaakov comes back to life together with Haoda Vichai. Now, what does this mean, Vatichi ruach? Yaakov wasn't dead. So, so what does it mean that Yaakov ruach? Yaakov. So Rashi writes, sharta lof shchina shepirish that Yo- during the time that Yosef was away, and Yaakov thought he was dead, that Yose. He did not have any prophecy during that entire period. In source twenty-seven. Avinu. This is the Rambam now the, in the Shmona Prakim. Kol Al yo Takami So that's a great line in the Rambam where he says that Uncleless is Moshe Misinai. Right, you see, uh, the Rambam say, stating that the ruach that and the Tanhum uncle states that Yaakov got his nevuah back. So the Rambam is saying, yeah, that that is that Yaakov receives his nevuah back. And now I want to go back and look at the tzedele derech. What is it that he says? He says and he says he's not asking if he's still alive. He's asking: Is he still Yaakov? Is he still Yaakov, the the person who has Hakodesh? Is he still Yaakov Avinu, or has Yaakov been diminished? Which means it, it, it's part of this response: What have you done to our father? It's much, in a sense, it's much worse even than everything we've seen till now. It's saying is that is my Am fa- Yosef? Is my father still? Alive, but is he still alive? Is he Yaakov? Is he the same Yaakov that I left? And and maybe now you can say things a little differently. You know, when you ask why, when I you know why does Yaakov, why does Yakov never look for Yosef, or why doesn't Yaakov know that Yosef is alive, or why does Yaakov Yaakov has no prophecy anymore? Yaakov has no ruach hakodesh. God hasn't been speaking to him anymore, and and therefore part of what Yosef is now asking is Yaakov still Yaakov? And the answer to that is they can't answer that. That's that's really what's interesting. They can't answer, but then Yaakov gets his ruach Kodish back. So as I said, you know whether you can be convinced that it's pshat. The good part of this, it's just a couple of verses later. Ruach so therefore, you have is uh, Oda You know is ya-, You know is ya-, Is my father still alive? And Ruach Yaakov avim. It, it. You know you put them together, and I think it's uh, it's interesting. If you look at the Al he actually says part of what I said in the middle of the Etama im Haodavichai Is he still alive the same way that he used to be? How is it possible that all these years Yaakov would not have known and God never would have told him, you know, God, you know, protected him and took care of him and told him all kinds of things. How could it be that he doesn't know this? So, as I said, again, it, it's interesting. And you realize now that the, uh, that there are a number of commentaries who go in this direction. The other thing that I thought about, and I'm just going to throw this out as the last suggestion, is Amr Rabbi source number 29. Because this is another aspect of Yaakov being alive. Amr Rabbi Yochanan, Yaakov avinu Yaakov never died. And that's really interesting. And, and, and you know, in a certain sense, it's preposterous. And the Gemara says that's preposterous. Meaning, why did they eulogize him and why do they embalm him and why do they bury him if he's still alive? Again, this point is about the zera of Yaakov being alive. Which means this may go back. What I'm suggesting is it goes back to Elotoldos Yaakov, Yosef. That Yosef is the is the continuation of Yaakov. If Yaakov thinks that Yosef is dead, then an element of Yaakov isn't alive. If Yosef is alive, then Yaakov is alive. And in a, in a very real sense, it is. And this goes back to everything we learned last week. It is Yosef who's living the life that Yaakov lives, and, and there are so many parallels between them. And therefore, Ani Yosef Oda if the Zera of Yaakov are all are alive, if the Shvatim are all around, if, especially if Yosef is alive, then is Yaakov still alive. Which means it takes it in a little bit of a different way. But the the truth is is that if that once the Shvatim are whole, once the 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 children of Yaakov become coalesced, then Yaakov have been a lomate. Which means that idea of Yaakov not dying is based upon the children following the life of Yaakov, and there's a problem. The problem is is that the only one who's following the life of Yaakov is really Yosef, and the brothers are sinners. The brothers have made very severe mistakes, and the brothers need to correct those mistakes, and that is why I want to go back to that point again, is now what does Yosef, want? where does he want to get them to? He wants to get them to the point that they have fixed everything, and therefore it goes back to that is what is going to keep Yaakov alive. So I understand you can accuse me of being a little bit more midrashic over here, but nonetheless, is again, I was thinking... How difficult this question is to ask, oh, but you should be happy because you've gotten three different uh, approaches to it. One is the very cynical approach, which you can say is the Sforno and is the and is the Beit Halevi, and we saw what others as well is that he's giving the Musr, That's the Oyel L'lanu the Yom how is it possible that uh, that my father could be alive? Essentially, taking Yehuda's whole, whole argument and turning it on his head. On the other hand, you could say that Yosef is asking, "Is my father still my father in the sense? Does does he is he still Yaakov Avinu? Does he still have his uh, his uh, Ruach Hakodesh? Because it doesn't seem to be that he has it, and therefore, right afterwards, we have the Ruach Hakodesh, you know, being mentioned that Yaakov now becomes back alive, or maybe connected to this idea that Chazal speak about that Yaakov Avinu lo But why is it lo Because Yaakov's descendants." Are around, but the descendants are only around if they live the life of the descendants of Yaakov, and that seems to be the concern. Of uh, of Yosef, so what we see over here is that we have this reconciliation. We have, uh, and it's not a simple reconciliation, and we don't want to just gloss over it and then everyone lived happily ever after. It's not a very simple thing, and there is pain over here. And Yehuda correctly identifies and ex- and expresses the pain, although Yehuda doesn't realize that he overplayed his hand because maybe he could have given this speech to anyone else in the world, but to give this speech to Yosef is a little bit unfortunate because. because Because Yosef has a very good response to that point, and therefore, you know, it comes down to the tone of voice. Did Yosef really break down at this point because uh, Yehuda got to him and now he really feels bad? And is it just a totally emotional response? Oh, is my father still alive? Or is it a very cynical response? And maybe what leads in that direction is the double response and they get very frightened. And then he pulls them closer and he speaks to them softly. And then he tries to, uh, you know, to, to fix things a little bit more. But as I said, this is a very complicated relationship and I'm sorry that I did not give you a definitive approach. I gave you different ones that you could get to choose which one you like. And, uh, I think that's part of the, it's part of the process as well is that, uh, I I, or any teacher does not have to force what they think is the correct understanding and is able to leave it open for you to decide which, uh, which conclusion you prefer.